We keep a finger on the pulse of all things movies and TV. From Tinseltown to the local scene and everything in between. Welcome to Film Flicks Podcast. Here are your hosts now, Josh, Renzo, and Boaz. It's time to whip out the popcorn and perk your ears up for Film Flicks Podcast. This is Rookie Bo as of 99.5 Playoff FM. And apart from Renzo and Josh, who I'm sure you've all grown accustomed to by now, we are being joined by a man whose reputation precedes him. He is a darling and a staple of the Cinema One film circuit, a talented graphic novelist, director Keith Seacott on the podcast. Let's hear it for Derek. Yeah, let's go. Thanks for for inviting me over here. I'm yeah. stuck to hear what you yeah, guys no, have to no throw at me. Can't wait, no can't wait. Yeah. So typically to break the ice, what we would ordinarily do is uh, play a game with our guests just to loosen everybody up uh, prior to the Q&A portion. So if it's all the same to you, Derek, uh, are you game? Uh, you know, I am, I'm horrible at games, so yes, I'm game. <laughs> I'm going to embarrass myself horribly right now. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure you have this in the back. I'm pretty sure you have this. You're in gonna the back. nail it. You're gonna nail it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's test that theory, direct. I, I I beg to differ. Let's see how you manage in a staple of FFP lore, a game entitled Fact or Fiction, wherein we read out to you certain movie synopses that may or may not be completely fabricated by yours truly. It's up to you guys to discern which is which. Is it fact or is it fiction? Is that uh, is everything clear? Is everything uh, uh, comprehensive so far? Copacetic. So are we are we like all our own teams, or can I phone a friend? Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you could. We could we could make an exception for the direct Keith Seacott, of course. So um, yeah, right. well, well, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> but I will press you for time. So I don't think you'll have the luxury of time on your side either. Okay. But yeah, sure, man. whatever floats your boat. Uh, let's begin with the first question. Uh, if it's all the same to everybody on board, I would love to uh, grant first question to direct Keith. I'd li- love for him to draw first blood, right? <laughs> and uh, first question for this edition of Factor Fiction goes to direct Keith. And away we go. First movie comes to us in the form of Instalado, set in a farming village a few years into the future. Installation has prevailed as the dominant form of education, a process that allows bodies of knowledge to be installed directly on people's brains. Direct Keith, is it fact or fiction? You know, I have a big inkling that this could be fact. Oh. I'll, okay. I'll, I can I can run through the reasons why. <laughs> Go ahead, please, please. Uh, I believe. Just you know, go through the logic of thing, right? So, I am aware that there was a film produced, oh. I think, in the second <laughs> year of the Farm Film Festival, that was a sci-fi by a kapangpangan filmmaker named Jason Paul Laksamara. Oh, no. 
And I think his story is the it's the like a class struggle thing, and the people who can afford who can afford it can uh, increase their their uh, knowledge by I guess buying downloads. I forgot what the mechanism was, hmm. but I think that's fact. Wow, very much analogous to that of Ali Muam. Cut from your own cloth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Man, you know what? In in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have given him that question. His knowledge—I bet it's gonna—it's gonna be easy for him. You know, it's gonna yeah. be. Yeah. Really I bet Turkey yeah. just has a, a library, a repository of sorts of all these movies, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Don't expect too much, guys. You know? <laughs> hey, but you've proven very great so far. I'm glad to inform you, Direct Keith, that you've officially made it to the scoreboards. One nil, baby. Yes. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Let's I go. Knew it. Let's go. Good man. Josh, question comes to you now, and away we go. Space Quest. Humans and aliens alike vie for an ethereal commodity found at the center of a singularity that will favor the very fate of the species that wield it. Is it fact or fiction, buddy? Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, it sounds fact for a moment, the, the moment you actually start to explain it, and then yeah, in, through in, it. The, in the latter, it actually started to become fiction. So it's actually a difficult uh, question. So I would say this is fiction. Okay, locking that in? Yep. You're right, man. You've caught my BS. Good job, good job. Yeah, good job. I thought that was a synopsis for Avatar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong. Damn. <laughs> well, I did derive from that, Direct okay. Keith. I did derive, so he did call me out on that one. Very astute observation once more for Direct Keith. I would give you a bonus point for that, but um, that's against my, that's against the law. That's against the bylaws of this game. Let's proceed right. now with Renzo. Third question goes to you, pal, in the form of this movie called Solaris. A psychologist is sent to a space station orbiting a planet called Solaris to investigate the death of a doctor and mental problems of cosmonauts on the station. Buddy, is it fact or fiction? Uh, first, before I say something out of pride, I just want to just to say I will not nail this. <laughs> So I gotta say, it's an interesting synopsis for a film, but never heard of Solaris, but maybe I have to search it later. Um, so I gotta go with fiction. Oh, buddy, you're sorely mistaken. I hate to take the wind out of your sails this early. But you are mistaken. George Clooney, actually. For the unenlightened, it actually stars a young George Clooney, so do check that out for those who haven't. All right, all right, yeah. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Actually, it's been twice. The, the, yeah, yeah. Here, here's a little, here's my nerd side coming out, all right? All right, uh, go ahead. Solaris right. is actually a novel by Stanislaw Lem, mm-hmm. and it was first produced into a film by Russian filmmaker Andrei Tarkovsky. This was his answer oh. to mm-hmm. 2001 because he hated the absolute clinical nature of 2000. It was so inhuman, you know? <laughs> right? He felt, he felt the humans were more robotic than like Hal. And so he was so insulted by that, he decided to make Solaris. And that's the one that uh, you mentioned um, 
George Clooney starred in the version. Did you guys know who produced that one? That's no, a, sir. No, no idea. Shocked. You'll be shocked because the, the Russian film is this poetic sci-fi movie. And the George Clooney one was produced by none other than James Cameron. What? Really? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. We're getting schooled. We're getting <laughs> educated. <laughs> That's actually cool information. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, yeah. it's awesome. It's awesome. They're they're great. I think yeah. this is the most didactic factor fiction we've ever had. In yeah. no small yeah. part, in no small part, thanks to the Rec Keith Seacat. Mm-hmm. Leave it to him to put on a clinic. Here on FFP. Thank you for that, Direct Keith. Sure. And uh, I hope more to come on the way too. More fun factoids and, and tidbits. We, it's a very much uh, welcome development here on Filmflix Podcast. It's great. Yeah. Man, I feel uh, all the more edified and enlightened by that with Sir Keith to thank. Let's circle back to Sir Keith now with this next movie. And away we go. This next movie comes to us in the form of Senyata. Mondata set against a dust fraught industrial dystopian world, a base wielding sting, yes, from the police. I did not stutter. <laughs> sting leads a resistance comprising the working class against a tyrannical government that will tip the scales of justice back on the side of the marginalized. Is it fact or fiction? Oh my God, I would totally watch this movie. <laughs> if it does um, exist, uh, you uh, don't know that yet. And, and it's like, yeah, it, and I, okay, you know, it's funny. The synopsis, I've never seen this movie, but there's a B movie that came out many years ago called Six String Samurai, which Whoa. just almost sounds Whoa. like, it almost sounds like that, except it's a base, so it'd be, you know, Four String Samurai. So <laughs> I'm guessing it's fiction, but I would totally watch this movie. Anything with Sting. <laughs> Especially oh. if you're leather space thong, you know? <laughs> right? right? I would watch that. I'd watch that. You know what? C- could, I be, could I be completely truthful here? I'm starting to feel remorseful about having Sir Keith on board because he's just slaying it. He's slaying it. This man is, is just doing everything right by the game. At each turn, you are right once more. Direct Keith leads the scoreboard 2-0, baby. Wow. Sir Keith, the first sport that I'm doing well in. This is really good, you know? You're making my Friday. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead, Josh. Uh, Boas, possibly give uh, Derek Keith the the, the synopsis of your, uh, you know, of that game. I mean, that that story, then he might make make a film out of it. Oh, there you go. Shoot, man, pitch it. And then, in turn, Sir Keith will be eternally indebted to me and he'll owe me in in royalties. (laughs) <laughs> I wish no, I no. had that power. If it may be in an alternate universe, but in this one I don't. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all want that? Yeah. All right, let's pivot back to the rotation now. So Josh at the two right, spot with this next movie, a movie entitled Sunshine. A team of astronauts are sent on a mission to reignite the dying sun with a nuclear fission bomb in 2057 josh my man fact or fiction oh my um huh i from the from what you've told it really sounds like a film that i would really love to watch like in cinema and imax and um i would say this is a fact that's it it's a fact yeah you're right it stars a young cillian murphy and chris mm. evans 
Renzo, you ready? I don't know, man. Just go ahead. <laughs> There's no other way to confront it but head on. Let's do this. Yeah. Renzo, for the second time around, uh, this next movie comes to us in the form of Saturn Street. Members of a newly expunged Earth confront the rubbles of their past while finding their bearings in a new world. Fact or fiction? I think I've heard of this film. I don't... I haven't, I haven't watched it, but maybe I've heard of it. And I, I don't know, but maybe I can just go with fact. I'll just go with uh, fact. But I'm sorry. Mm. It's fiction. It's fiction, but It's fiction. <laughs> Let's circle back now to Direct Keith Seekat. Direct Keith, for your last question, comes to you in the form of Wolves Among Sheep. A sleepy Colorado town is rocked by the revelation of an off-world society that's been surreptitiously living behind their backyards. Fact or fiction? Whoa. Okay. That's how we do it. That, if it's, okay. If it is the movie already, I'm upset that I have not seen it. (laughs) Um, Because that sounds really awesome. (laughs) I mean, that's, God, that's really cool sounding. I'm going to take a stab and say it's fiction, but again, it should be fact. Am I wrong? Direct Keith, you are immaculate, sir. You've left the contest unscathed. Three out of three for Direct Keith Seekat. I think that's a first. That's great. I think that's great. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome, man. Sir Keith out here making history. Sir Keith out here making history. (laughs) Don't flick podcast. Let's go to Josh for the two spot. Josh, this next question goes to you. Pal comes to us in the form of upside down. Though forbidden, a man devises a way to reunite with a long lost love from the twin world that sits just above his own. Fact or fiction? I think I've seen this film in star movies and I would say this is a fact. <laughs> it's easy. Give this guy the easiest one. It is fact. There you go. Josh, that, two that, out of three, the, buddy. That, that's the one that Kristen Dunst, right? Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, I think it's the one that Kristen, Kristen Dust. It's the one with Kristen Dunst. Uh, yeah. You guys, yeah. Boaz, you give Josh the easiest ones, man. Hey, man. <laughs> I don't know that coming in. I don't know that coming off the gate, right, right off the jump. <laughs> I don't know the movies you've watched. Hey, man, come on. <laughs> Come on, man. That's way out of my control, though. Okay, time to redeem yourself, Renzo. This next movie comes to us in the form of Emmanuel. Set in a futuristic Philippines, air pollution has rendered breathable oxygen scarce. A young family's welfare is jeopardized when a stranger arrives to set off a chain of adverse effects. Fact or fiction? Uh, let me think for a while, all right? I just... Go ahead, man. Take your time with it. Google is your friend. <laughs> uh, well, Bones can see me, so I bet I won't get the point even though I get it correct. So, oh god! <laughs> I, I bet uh, it's a fiction. It's fiction. Oh, Renzo, you're just not. <laughs> you're just. You're just. It's just not your luck today, man. I regret to inform you, man. Zero out of three today. It's okay, bud. Zero out it's of three right, today. Uh, I'm still giving you right, a pat man. on the back. I'm still giving you a pat on the back for, for uh, valiantly trying and valiantly braving the elements. Here you three are having withstood that game. What can you guys say? That was pretty fun. 
Yeah, it was yeah, fun, man. Go ahead, Direct Keith. I have a question. Is that the one, the short film with Pig Medina? Yes, sir. It is okay. Oh, great. God, okay. Direct Keith. <laughs> Direct Keith is, is going crazy with it, guys. Yeah. I wish like, he knows, right? he knows everything. He knows everything. He knows everything, man. Yeah, you're savvy when it comes to the local film scene has come second to none. And I'm sure the international film scene as well. But yeah, good on you, Direct Keith. And just for that, I'm giving you two additional points. <laughs> Word. All right. <laughs> two additional points. Just That's for being cool. as astute as ever. And we appreciate that alacrity for film here at Film Flicks Podcast. We appreciate you. Thank you for uh, for obliging. And thank you for humoring us with that game. Now, it's time to shift gears to uh, the meat and potatoes, if you will. It's time to throw Direct Keith into the deep end, into the lion's den, if you will, with a few questions coming from yours truly. Now, just like any awesome sci-fi hero there's an origin story of how they came to power and how they figured things out for themselves for you direct keith what was the genesis how did you get into this industry oh into film you mean yeah into film and uh some of the some of the clear-cut indicators that you you must have had growing up that i mean this is going to be for me all right um the the truth was i actually thought all my years growing up i was going to become an artist like a visual artist uh because i was always into drawing i mean ever since i could remember you know i was always drawing stuff um but you know you you have uh you know your typical pinoy parents and uh it did uh <laughs> i mean it was it was a funny thing where i remember yes, getting sir. getting actual scholarship offers and wow. being like being like uh you know, hey dad, like you don't have to pay, <laughs> you know? Um, and it was like categorical no. <laughs> so it's like, all right. Um, uh, but all through that time, I was always a, a fan of, of movies already, but you know, I don't know anyone in film. So it's kind of like a, it's just a long shot, right? Mm. Um, long story short, I went to college studying something totally different. I did uh, philosophy and literature, but at my school in England, there was like uh, some crazy kids who were like crewing up for an independent film, right? Mm. And they were like, they were, they were holding uh, what interviews in the pub or something. And I'm, you know, I'm fresh off, you know, like the plane and stuff. And, and, uh, and so I go there, all I have is my portfolio, right? And, you know, my slides, slides, panon, guys, slide, right? You know, um, I'm dating myself. But basically, when, when the, you know, they're, student, they're students and they saw the thing, and like, hey, great, we're going to make you art director. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And they're like, don't worry, you have five days to figure it out. So, and that was the deep end. You're talking about game throwing the deep end. That was it. Like, um, uh, that was the very first, it was experimental film, silent, done in black and white on Super wow. 8. Um, I kind of missed a lot of classes for it, so don't follow my <laughs> my example. Um, but it was cool because what happened was then you realize, hey, this 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 medium is not so unreachable all of a sudden, right? So that was the one that the kind of that was the first one that kind of got me like uh, thinking that cinema was a was not just a medium that was available but actually accessible, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you know again. Uh, you know, you graduate, you got to find a job, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, me being stubborn, uh, I decided to apply for all these things. And I, my first 
job was I was a storyboard artist for a commercial uh, company in New York. And this is the kicker, but this is where I learned the most. It was actually not there. It was when I said yes to doing documentaries. Mm-hmm. That's something that people don't really know. That's something people find strange, like because uh, I make these far out crazy movies, right? You know, but but the the crux is really um, the discovery and the love for documentaries. Um, really is what ignited the whole idea of like storytelling uh, and and um, exploring narrative. Because in docus you can't control, it's not in your control in the sense like you can't script it, you know what I mean? You're just filming life, right? And then you realize that, wow, me being in the editing room can control how that life is told. That kind of blew my mind, right? Like it was literally me, like three of us. It was me, the producer, and the main. I was an assistant editor at that point. I was like, "You mean to tell me that this story is in the hands of three people?" I was like, "That's better than being a cameraman or a cinematographer or you know the designer." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you're dictating all the story from this little room, you know, from your box, which is your machine, right?" And that was kind of the the pivotal moment, I think, in terms of like storytelling and being like, "Yeah, I'm kind of in love with this medium even deeper than I thought I would be." Right on. So uh, I think most of our listeners will find it interesting that direct Keith. Uh, got to start and cut his teeth that way. Yeah. Not not uh, doing direct documentaries. Yeah. Go ahead, Renzo. Actually, I would like to comment about that. Um, I remember uh, watching a video from what some of um, some of the greatest filmmakers, some recent, some old, being interviewed about that. They would say that the only time you get to control the film is when you're in the editing ground. That's the only time you get to control it. The the last two. Productions, the, the pre, the post, I mean, the, the production itself, you don't get to control it. You don't know what its essence it is yet. Let's say you already planned it during the, you know, the pre-production. Sure, you get the essence of it, but you, you just don't get it yet until the, you know, the, the post-production. So when he said that the only time you get to control it was during the post-production, that made me happy. Then I was like, yeah, the other director said the same thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, it's 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 kind of true. But here's something interesting, though. A lot of directors who you might not think actually did documentaries uh, actually started that way too. And you'll be shocked. I'm going to name one right now: George Lucas. Oh, oh, there you go. Yes, yes. George Lucas started in documentary. Mm. Yes. Yeah, George Lucas started documentaries. Another great one: Martin Scorsese, yes. editor. For documentaries wow it panned out for them so perhaps that's a good way of cutting your teeth to all the fledgling filmmakers out there probably start doing documentaries first <laughs> <laughs> if there's something to be uh taken here yeah go ahead josh i would say that documentaries uh actually told uh, these two guys that documentaries are has more work but less script because you're interviewing this person and it's actually very you know um, scary, uh, scary of uh, handling what this uh, person and telling the story to the to the public. So I would say that documentaries for me are really uh, have really have those dramatic tone to it, and it really shows how the human side of these people. And I really love documentaries about that. So. Yeah, there definitely yeah. seems to be a lot more gravitas to it 
and a lot more fidelity goes into making it, I guess, because you want to tell it as truthfully as possible. Yeah, and that's a big yeah. point. That's Especially big, in, this, exactly, yeah. in this day of, you know, post-truth, right? And, you know, and fake news, like you, the responsibilities there. And, and, um, and in fact, here's the crazy thing. If you guys ever get deeper to documentaries, there's a thing called Verite Documentary, which is there's not even interviews. Literally, the documentarian is following real life as it's happening. Wow. And to imagine having to create a film out of that. Uh, we, we had a recent one that, um, that's been winning awards left and right. Uh, it's called Aswang. It's actually about the EJKs. Wow. Um, and it's directed by first-time filmmaker uh, Alex Arumpak. And she's amazing. And I... I can't believe how, I mean, it's a cinematic, it's cinematic, it's a documentary, but it's cinematic. Mm-hmm. And it was shot, she went out every night for years filming the sites of EJKs and she just came out with this amazing film. So if you guys see, get a chance, it was, it was actually online uh, available for streaming for like a few days, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. If you guys hear about it, try to catch it because that's like, that, that's the, the degree of difficulty and doing you know, a verite documentary, no interviews, mm. man. And then making a story out of that, like, yeah, that's a, another level, you know? That, that's gotta be difficult. Yeah, yeah, I guess there is some some degree, some form of intrinsic voyeurism when it comes to documentaries. And what Sir Keith mentioned just raises all the knobs to 11, pretty much, <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, take the wheel, Josh. Yeah, go ahead, oh. man. Well, all of us know that there are different kinds of sci-fi films. There's also different kinds of uh, culture between uh, the, our countries. So I would actually want to ask you directly, or uh, you guys, uh, Boas or Renzo, how do you see the relationship between sci-fi and culture? And uh, what do you think are the, the main boundaries between sci-fi and cinema and reality? Okay, here, man, you, you guys like, you know, throw the you know, big, big swing here, you know, uh, fastballs. Fast well, yeah, okay. we only ever have you for like two minutes, uh, rather two hours tops. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, I'll, I'll try to, if you don't mind, I'll try, I'll try my, my hand and we can, we can discuss this, right? Um, uh, but let me just give you my two cents, right? So, um, okay, so first part is, is like, you know, culture, right? Um, <clears throat> Well, science fiction is a product of culture. It is, you know, we are here because of where we are at in society and civilization, right? So before sci-fi, uh, there were myths, right? Uh, that's kind of evolved into what science fiction is today. Um, and and even if like I'm, I'm saying there are myths, a lot of hardcore sci-fi guys might be offended by this, you know, the hard the hard science fiction fans. Um, but the point is, wherever you are in the spectrum, right? Uh, sci-fi is really functioning as metaphor for today, right? You're, you're, it's a, it's a reflecting, it's reflecting, it's commenting on the present, right? Um, so what it's really doing is it's positing, you know, uh, possible alternative uh, realities, futures, or even pasts, right? Um, uh, like a funhouse mirror does. It's trying to reflect and refract all this stuff in a crazy way, right? Um, so, so definitely a part of culture. Uh, you can't can't separate it. Um, in terms of boundaries, okay, I'm not sure what you mean, but I'm I'm guessing like, uh, let's just say that sci-fi has definitely inspired things in the real world. Okay, your basic example. Everyone's seen the old, or at least known of the old Star Trek series from the 60s, right? The very first, you know, TV series, okay? 
Remember they had this thing called the tricorder, right? The little handheld computer. Well, guess what we got today? <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, um, it's basically a smartphone. In fact, our smartphones are more higher tech than that because they're they're so thin now. Remember the tricorder looked like a brick, right? Um, so we didn't need to wait for the 22nd century to have ours, right? And even things like uh, they went Star Trek, they have tractor beams and stuff, like you know, or sorry, Star Wars, they have tractor beams, right? I think for both, right? Um, I was shocked. I think last year or just uh, maybe last two years, NYU scientists were actually able to actually force this uh, tractor beam on a molecular level. Right, so they actually did it. Right, they actually were able to to pull something like on the molecular level. And so for them, it's like, well, look, if it's le- if it's if it works at this level, it's just about scaling up. So theoretically, it's not even theory anymore. Like they made it work, right? So if you're looking at that, like, okay, where's the line? I don't know the boundary anymore. Like, um, the you know some some science kid nerded out on Star Trek when he was a boy or she was a girl, she was a kid, and now they made it real. Um, same thing with like interfaces for like VR, virtual reality, right? You go back 20 years and you watch all the movies that had VR in it. They're kind of quaint now, right? Like they have to use, you know, VR gloves and things. And now we just use our fingers to like manipulate everything, right? It's even higher tech now. So in that way, I think the, um, if there's any boundary, it's like a blurry one. It's more like an amorphous kind of amoeba-like, you know, membrane. <laughs> We're kind of, you know, slipping and sliding through because the things that are are imagined become real, right? So I don't know if that answered the question for for boundaries, but I think um, uh, for me, I guess the boundaries porous. I would I would actually say that uh, sci-fi mainly uh, influences. Uh, the per, the, our, our perception of technology today and how uh, we innovate with uh, how Derek Keith gave an example of the cell phone and Star Trek, uh, the, the cell phone Star Trek and uh, and the flying cars in Back to the Future in uh, which Tesla actually had innovated um, flying cars, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it's just really that uh, how it's actually how people see or get influenced by these films. So. Yeah, agree. Yeah. And, and I wish we, I wish the universe followed Tesla rather than, you know, the corporate guy who stole, you know, who started splitting up AC/DC current, right? <laughs> uh, she, she who shall not be named, that you know, that American industrialist. But anyway. <laughs> All right, all right. So before we get too dogmatic here on Film Flicks podcast, let's uh, pivot now to Renzo. I know you have a question for Direct Keith, man. Well, I, I have a very interesting question for, you know, Direct Keith. So it, I want to ask, who are your favorite filmmakers ever and how they influenced you? How, how they influenced you maybe on how you like films or maybe how, how they, their films affected you, you know, somehow like that. We, we have a week for this or something? Like, <laughs> we're going to be here forever. <laughs> I, I mean, Are you good uh, for a week? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm good, man. Uh, it's, wow, okay, that's such a big, like, um, that's such a huge question. Um, let me, I'll try to strip it down, right? Like, <laughs> I'll try to limit the, the scope. Um, okay, I think 
Uh, all right. Uh, in terms of filmmakers, or maybe experiences too, right? Uh, maybe we can go there. Um, of course, I'm of the age where uh, I, you know, the original uh, Star Wars. Well, it came, it came out in the theater. I wasn't I wasn't around yet, but I mean, uh, but seeing that on TV on you know the the tape player, right? Um, uh, that that definitely ignited the fire. And I think it was, again getting back to documentaries, it was it was two things. It was seeing Star Wars and then seeing a documentary behind the scenes and discovering as a little boy, like what? People made models and just blew them up. You know what I mean? Like it became like, oh man, this 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 um uh people made this thing they didn't go out to space and film it <laughs> right people you know people were like you know putting together you know little clay models and, and doing all these crazy things sure and that that i think really you know people doing things with their bare hands that kind of i think blew open my mind not just to not just to cinema as an art but also as a craft right uh, uh that was one okay another experience i get i saw blade runner when i was way too young I don't know how I saw it because, like, I, I literally thought there was a scene in that film. I actually, came, a thought came from a horror movie, and I mean, in my memory, it came from a horror movie. Only seeing Blade Runner again as like a, you know, as a, you know, twelve-year-old, I was like, oh my god, it came from this film, you know, and I, I was scarred for life basically for that scene. Um, so those are moments that kind of, you know, haunt you. But what got me with that was that it's here is a science fiction film that kind of is saying something. Right, it's not just entertaining me. I'm like getting provoked, even as a kid. Right, I'm getting provoked in all these ways. Right, and then of course you see 2001. I saw that when I was like in middle school, and when I saw that, I'm like, how come I'm riveted this three-hour-long movie with no dialogue? I just hear some guy breathing, and I'm tense. As you know, I'm completely tense and and at the edge of my seat. And the scene's going on forever, <laughs> and I'm going to strangle somebody. You know, but but uh, you're just totally riveted. So I think those those guys definitely. At least within the realm of sci-fi, you know those 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 really kind of hit me. Um, the older I got, of course, you discover filmmakers like I mentioned earlier, the guy who made Solaris, Tarkovsky. Okay, um, Tarkovsky for me and his adherents like like Alexander Sukarov and, and Belatar, like um, uh, they for me their their films were they're closer to religious experiences. Than cinema, it's all I can. It's really the best way for me to explain it because they're not, they're not movies, they're really not. Like I mean, they they're they're poetry, they're they're treatises on humanity. Like they're they're not. I mean, reducing it to just like a movie, it's kind of doing it a disservice, right?、Um, speaking of humanists, you have this Polish guy、uh, Kislowski, who I just love. And of course, I got these experimental guys. Like, have you guys ever heard of Maya Darren, or Chris Marker, or Alejandro Hodorowski? Like, these guys are insane,、uh, and and they're they're schooling everybody. They did this like you know in the '30s, right, or the '60s, and you can revisit any of their films now. You're like, man, like we kind of went, we kind of regressed. <laughs> these guys were doing some awesome things. Like, what happened? Like, how did it get so boring? You know.、Um, And then of course you get guys like you know Wong Kar Wai, Spike Lee, you know,、oh, yeah. you know those guys. You know、um, Nagisa Oshima, if you know him, this Japanese guy.、Um, and of course Broca and Bernal, right? You know our our stalwarts here. You know the Philippine cinema giants.、Um, so all of these guys really, really changed、uh, my life basically and my perspective in a really, really profound way.、Um, 
yeah, I mean, those are just a handful. There's tons, guys. I mean, you know, I'll be I'll be gushing like an encyclopedia here. So, and no one will understand. Like he's mumbling, he's he's speaking in tongues now. I don't understand like, <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. We'll we'll let you off the hook. <laughs> All right, but to so, answer your question, I mean, that's a that's a it in a nutshell. I mean, uh, oh, for documentaries, I forgot to mention, like for documentaries, please. I got into, uh, if you guys ever heard, like, The Birth of Cinema, you guys heard of um, Ziga Vertov? He's the first guy who made the first documentary, basically. It's, it's uh, a man with a movie camera. That's amazing. And that that still inspires films. Like, there's essay films like Koyaniskati. There's no music. There's no narration. It's pure images. And it's giving ideas. It's pure montage. This I, this image, or this uh, this shot next to this shot gives you an idea. It's amazing. Um, and of course, you know, Werner Herzog, people know him for his movies, but I love his documentaries, you know, so. And there's tons of Pinais, huh? There's a lot of Pinai filmmakers who really kick ass in documentary. I think if we have the, our, our, our box office queens for the fiction stuff, the, in documentaries, it's like the docu-queens. You have Ramona Diaz, you have Dizzy Carolino, Baby Ruth Villarama, and now Alex, like they're really just kind of kicking ass. And, and, um, Check them out, you know. There you go. You're pretty much spoiled for choice. Thank, <laughs> yeah. you, for those, thank you for those recommendations, Direct Keith. We'll, we'll definitely get to them being the, the movie nerds that we are. I do want to single out your works, uh, Woman of the Ruins and Alimuam. Uh, primarily Woman of the Ruins because it's the most recent one that I've watched from you. And I, I just want to commend you on the grainy feel of the movie. It has this grainy cinematography to it, uh, very much reminiscent of the older Pinoy movies, ones from uh, from the seminal uh, Ishmael Bernal, of course. You, you seldom see that these days, and that, that truly is, uh, aside for sore eyes, truly something refreshing, something to behold. I, what I've noticed with your work, Direk, is there's a lot of speculative fiction peppered into your filmography, and there's also a constant dialogue about OFWs. So was that a, con- was that a deliberate, conscious uh, decision to do that? And uh, t- take us through the thought process and the headspace into uh, doing such a tall order. That's a that's a very tall order, uh, marrying the two and coupling the two. You do it in in, in a very Promethean, dare I say, very creative way. Uh, that's what immediately dawned on me. Honestly, that's what immediately dawned on me when I heard about uh, outer space Filipino workers. That was that was so left field. That was so left field, and I, I was so gung ho to to just unravel and unpack it with you here. So if you're too inclined. Yeah, yo, no, thanks. I mean, I, I thank you for the kind words. I mean, um, uh, yeah, Woman of the Ruins is a really, uh, I, I have a, I can share a lot about the making of that film. That's pretty epic in terms of behind the scenes too. Uh, we can talk about that later, but um, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, cause there's a lot of questions in there, right? Um, let me just try to go through each one. Um, in terms of, I guess, subject matter, right? You're talking about how there's a lot of uh, speculative ideas, right? That are running through it. I think these come from concerns that uh, I might have not been consciously aware of, but, you know, they're kind of eating away at, you know, that, and it comes out in the art, right? Um, so example, like, we're, like let's say Woman of the Ruins compared to Ali Mu'am, one is obviously like a futuristic sci-fi film. Like, you know, it's obvious it wears it on the sleeve where, Woman of the Ruins, it's sci-fi and it's kind of hidden, right? It's not it's not readily apparent, right? Um, because it's taking place in like a fictional past, right? 
Um, but what threads the two films together, even if they're, you know, apples and oranges in terms of their tone and stuff, I think both have a really, really strong concern about uh, the environment on how it affects, you know, the context of the world people will live in, right? Uh, in Alimum, of course, is toxic earth. In Woman of the Ruins, you know, something's wrong with the planet because the weather's off, right? The weather's totally off. There are scenes with the, the flagellants, the, the, the penitents, and that's Easter, right? That's, that's April. It should be mm. blistering hot, right? Yeah, so sequentially, something's yeah. amiss. Yeah. You know, something's wrong because, like, it should be white heat out, dry, and instead it's cloudy. It looks like we're in England, you know, <laughs> on a rainy yeah. shore, and they're doing the, the penitentia, and it's like something's wrong. Um, uh, left to so, imagination, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So it suggests a lot of that stuff, right? So I think that's one. And the bigger one, I think, for me is maybe the the the, I, the social concerns that come in it. Because uh, the, the great thing about using a genre like sci-fi is that you can actually examine something easier, like on a, on a more laser-like focus, because you don't have to deal with all the real-world stuff that, like, uh, cloud the water, right? Here, you can, you can say, here are the rules of this world, so I'm going to dig in really fast. Right, um, and so that was the thing where, if you notice, both both films, uh, they're really talking about how societal norms kind of oppress people, right? Um, in in ruins, it's about how uh, how the belief system of the villagers, right, affects this poor woman played by Alessandra De Rossi, and she's basically put in this horrible horrible situation from these well-meaning people right you know everyone's devout there everyone you know but all the well-meaning evolves into this monstrous social reality right and same thing with the kind of brutal reality that's being shown in Alimu'am and how you know you, ha- you have uh, so that's really it it's like a good vehicle for for you know d- putting the real world social and environmental concerns and kind of jamming them in there hopefully you don't it's not like medicine, you know. <laughs> you know, hopefully you're just entertained while you're watching the thing, and maybe, maybe you, you know, it tickles your your brain a little bit. But you know, hopefully it, it's uh, it makes you think a little bit, you know. Um, yeah. I can only ever speak for myself, but I know what you were alluding to when you said something about the the, the medicine. Uh, to me, it was seamless, Derek. It really was seamless. I didn't feel like I was forest fed at all, but I can only ever speak for myself. And I'm pretty sure uh, Josh and Renzo would echo the same sentiments as well. It, it was just so seamless, especially in, in Woman of the Ruins. It just, it was just, it was such a feast for the eyes at the same time. And collectively, collectively, it was just a super great watch. It was just a super great watch. So for those who haven't seen it, try to try to it, to somehow grab a hold of that for sure it's a worthwhile movie you heard it here for some film flicks podcast watch that um okay so my next question is i would like to ask if what do you think uh, are the main reasons of how sci-fi is huge with cinephiles like let's say mm. star wars with um what um step maybe star trek we can say star trek back to the future and uh, what and to what extent has the film industry helped in popular popularizing the genre? Okay, all right, cool. Um, yeah, it's uh, sci-fi and cinema, right? They kind of go hand in hand, right? Um, uh, I think, all right, let's try to break it down, right? Um, 
I think there's a number of factors that go into like into this, right? Um, so one is uh, okay. People need to dream and imagine. That's just how we're built. I don't know why. You know, God knows why. How do we? Why do we evolve? You know, this way, right?、Um, and humans are bad at settling for whatever's here, right? We're always looking for a new problem to solve. We're looking for the next mountain to climb. You know, we're looking for the next challenge. And sci-fi is the breeding ground for these thought experiments, right?、Um, so that's like the general. You know,、uh, like umbrella, but let me let, let's try to break it down even more, right? So, I think it has a few functions. So one is,、uh, like we talked about already, sci-fi helps reflect real issues, right?、Um, so again,、uh, let me posit this:、uh, realistic fiction actually is kind of a funny term if you think about it, right? Because whatever it is, whether it's realistic or fantastical, it's made up. <laughs> Right? Yeah, they sound mutually exclusive from one another. Yeah, but in reality,、yeah. they're all lies, right? There, someone cooked them up in their head, right?、Um, uh, you know, so I'll just start there. So let me just. So my point is that basically, it's all narrative. It's all it's all storytelling, right?、Um, but I think, like I was mentioning earlier, like how the genre kind of helps strip the stuff away. Like, let's say if you want to explore issues of gender, right? And you have people like Angela Carter, or you know Margaret Atwood, or Ursula Guin, right? By making their fictional worlds for you know Handmaid's Tale, right? Or what is it, Left Hand of Darkness, and,、um, and my personal fave, their Passion of a New Eve by Angela Carter, right? Because they're making their universe, you don't have to deal with the real world stuff, right?、Um, we're just going to get into the world where everyone's genderless except for procreation reasons, but everything else, it's. Free, you know. So right away,、um, you get that out of the way. Handmaid's Tale, right? You have the dystopian vision of the future where all the women are still are still oppressed, right?、Uh, even more than they are now. Or you have、um, in Angela Carter's novel, it's great. You have this misogynistic main character as a dude. He's this horrible, like toxic macho guy, and he gets a gender、uh, transformation, and he becomes the hottest girl on the planet. <laughs> And he's stuck in the woman's body all of a sudden, right? Like, what a great way to start a story! I really love that book. I I I love that book to pieces because, you, but you see what I mean, right? You're very quickly, you open up,、uh, you can address the real issue really fast, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one, right?、Uh, so that that includes like you know the 1984s, you know all all your good stuff, right?、Um, mm-hmm. That's one. Two, sci-fi functioning as a caution. As a cautionary tale, right? So you imagine the utopia, dystopia, the utopian dystopia, <laughs> the apocalypse. You know,、um, so hopefully we don't have to experience it in real life. We can avoid it. We've kind of failed at that, guys. <laughs> it's called 2020.、Uh, we kind of failed <laughs> miserably.、Um, it's called, you know. Anti,、uh, was it? It's called、uh, anti-maskers, and you know.、Uh, but anyway, you know, <laughs> right? You know, flat earthers. You know, <laughs> the list goes on. We failed that. But、um, the point is,、uh, you know, these are your Mad Maxes, your Terminators, your Twelve Monkeys, your Matrixes, right?、Um, so,、uh, so sci-fi is caution, right? 
On the other hand, you have then sci-fi as aspiration, right? This is where we could be. It is like the the if 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 we used our better selves and our brains to their maximum ability, this is where we could be, right? That's your 2001s, your Star Treks. Star Trek is a great example of that, right? Um, and even more recently, like you know, superhero genre, sci-fi guys. Black Panther is my best example of like you know the you know, emancipation of the superhero genre into something like that really says something. Okay, Re- I mean, it's always said something. I mean, I'm a fan of X Men. It's all it's all all the social. Um, you know, you know, social logic, uh, social political stuff in X Men is. I mean, I hate to break it to you guys. I don't believe like politics are in comics. Like, it's. <laughs> I'm not sure you're reading it. Okay, <laughs> I think you're just looking at the drawings. If you're missing yeah. the politics in the comics, um, but yeah, you know, uh, it's it's really big. And here's something interesting. Um, Josh, you were talking about how it influenced how people think, right? Here's here's something amazing. China, 20 years ago, made a very very concerted effort. To encourage young the youth to apply to、uh, American colleges and study sci-fi in university. Okay, so you're like, whoa, like why, right? And it's like, and it was a concerted effort. They had this effort to do this. Okay, so why, right? And the answer is because if you can, if you can imagine something, you can create it. And the biggest thing there was it because it's a you know it's a fairly conformist society, right? There weren't enough people thinking outside the box. You you needed to have you need to encourage people to think outside the box, right? So what happens now? You have Hugo Award-winning sci-fi writers, right? You have、uh, what's Hao Jingfang, and, and you have the guy who、uh, uh, Liu Shixin who who wrote、um, Wandering Earth. You guys see that movie? It's awesome, you know.、Uh, um, they have that Wandering Earth on Netflix now. It's this big budget Chinese sci-fi blockbuster. Oh yeah. And they're noise there. <laughs> they're noise in the movie. Although I was not exactly stoked with their representation, but whatever. Oh, oh no. <laughs> that's that's my personal, you know, drive. But anyway,、um, uh, but the point is, the side effect is it is it、uh, as you astutely said,、um, sci-fi influences technological innovation, and China had that. Vision twenty or thirty years ago, like we need to be here, and to encourage this, we need to send kids out to learn about sci-fi to encourage them to think this way, right?、Um, and then, lastly, to bring it back to the kind of overarching umbrella, right, of like humans wanting to always solve problems, right? I think the other one is that humans, for some reason, we're creatures of narrative, and I don't know why. For some reason, we cannot help but make. Tell and see the world through story. Even our word history, right? History is story, right? And it's about who wields the power to create that story, right? So, so all these things are like,、uh, I guess, part long answer to that, but part and parcel. So, and cinema being the most wide-reaching medium of our time right now,、um, then it's no surprise that it helps. Uh, you know, spread the gospel <laughs> of sci-fi in that way, right? Uh, um, it, because this is this, this is the media that people are consuming. That might not be the case in the next hundred years, you know, but but right now,、um, media、uh, film is it. Yeah, and more power to it if that's the case.、Mm. Yeah, more power to it. And to、uh, to filmmakers like Derek Keith. Let's、uh, circle back to Renzo. Go ahead, man. Well, I would like to ask.、Uh, right now, I just twist a bit.、Uh, 
I just like to ask Sir Keith, are there any concepts that you have in mind for sci-fi or non-sci-fi for Philippine cinema? Oh, you mean like other projects? Like uh, they have one in your mind right now. That's yeah, a concept. God, there's always a billion things running around in there. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a problem. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there's a bunch. I mean, uh, in fact, uh, after Alimu, um, uh, I actually brought um, uh, uh, outer space Filipino workers to a bunch of uh, uh, pitching forums. So that was kind of cool. So that kind of, I got to go to Korea and 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 uh, and Laos for that. That was pretty fun. Uh, it was part of uh, uh, Bifan. It projects and it was also part of uh, American Film Showcase, so that's kind of cool. So we'll see. Um, and I'm actually uh, doing another documentary right now. So yeah, so definitely things are happening. Um, it's a little bit slower than than you know because of the pandemic, but uh, still keeping busy. And and I think actually the pandemic actually also you know fired a few more neurons. So there's a you know there's a something. Um, uh, the developing also related to the, or not maybe not related to uh, pandemic per se, but but definitely sprung. You know, the springboard was what's happening right now, right? And and uh, and again, positing. Okay, well, what happens 20 years from now? <laughs> so so it's one of those what ifs. So in the short answer, yes. <laughs> there you go. There you have it, Renzo. Um, in case you didn't know, Sir Keith, Renzo is actually studying to become a, a filmmaker too. That's why it, it's big that he uh, he gets this uh, an education uh, from from the masters themselves. You know, and I, I'm pretty sure it means so much to Renzo. I don't mean to speak for him though, but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it for Zoe. I would like to ask and pull pull on the thread actually of collaboration. Sir Keith, you're no slouch when it comes to to collaboration, and on several occasions you have uh, you have collaborated with direct Sari Delena for for certain projects, and I just want for you to speak on the dynamics of that because as a director, maybe it would be. And I don't know this personally because I'm not a director myself, but just from having seen all these these credits, and it typically is just one director. So maybe it's in the better interest of the director to do it in an autonomous way, the directing, in an autocratic, unilateral way. So how is it running the ship with, with a co-director, having to defer to that? Because unless you're the Safties or the Coens or the Russos, you don't typically chance upon uh, a, a director pairing like this. So if you could speak on that. Yeah, well, um, okay, so for those who don't know, uh, Sari is my, my, my partner in crime. She's my wife. And, uh, and it's, it is, I think it is kind of, um, well, I guess what makes us a little bit different is usually you get the pair. You still get a pair. Usually it's like a, a director-producer pair, like, a, you know, James Cameron and everybody, depending who he's married to at the time, <laughs> right? So so uh, let, let's not go there. Okay, anyway, um, uh, uh, but but uh, Christopher Nolan and his wife, you know, Jack Snyder and his wife. Um, uh, uh, here you have uh, Bianca Balboina as the producer to Bradley Liu, um, you know, so... So there's a lot of uh, even even uh, Derek Mario Diaz Abaya, her cinematographer slash producer, was her husband, right? So um, so it's kind of I think it's it's I think normal to collaborate. I think what's what's maybe different is that we actually um, I guess co-direct, right? I guess this is the question, right? Um, uh, so how does that work? 
it's really intense because we have no boundaries. So like when someone has an idea at 3 a.m., like the other person's going to hear about it, you know, um, it's it's uh, <laughs> so that it's intense. Um, but but here's the thing. And I think this is why I think it works really well is because even if we might have different ways to get to an idea, um, okay, first, we have very similar taste. That's the first one. Like our, our criteria for what the things that we like, or even maybe even better, the things that we don't like are like very similar, right? Um, and that, that, that's a big one because that, that then um, uh, kind of di uh, distills things already, right? You already know, like, uh, you already know that the other person also is not into this approach. So, you know, that, that already, you know, um, helps you zero in, right? the the second one of course you you also like the same things um and here's what's really interesting because this is filmmaking in general all right the bizarre nature of filmmaking as an art is it you usually in art you know if you're a painter or something it's just you and you know the canvas or the paper and you get to do what you want you don't have to communicate to anybody it's more communicating with your hand you know to do the thing right in film, you have to make sure that every, the hundred of you that are on this project see the same exact imaginary dog, okay? It's not any dog or a dog. It's like this specific dog, you know? We're talking about a brown chihuahua, not a black and white, you know, whatever, yeah. right? Dachshund, you know? Um, it's not about degree. It's like you have to zero in really, really well. Um, on what it is. And it's hard because everyone has it, until you're doing it, you, you really have no idea. <laughs> you, know? you can put up as many references and mood boards as you want, right? But you really don't know what you're doing until you're doing it, until you're done actually, right? <laughs> or as you're saying with post-production, you, you don't know what you got till you know what you got, right? Um, until <laughs> you have the material. Uh, so working with Sari, it's, it's kind of great because you kind of have, you do see the same imaginary dog right away. And we don't have to talk about it that much, right? Because you have the same taste in things. Like you, you agree on what's, you know, you kind of, you really, you know what the target is, right? Um, so that's why even even if there are films that we do where we're not literally co-directing, um, behind the scenes, the process is still fairly similar. Like it might be my name or her name only. But in terms of the behind the scenes collaboration, it's like it's like nothing happened. It's like it's still the same amount of uh, intense collaboration, intense um, uh, conversations and, and, you know, lots of what ifs, um, lots of, you know, selecting and paring down, pruning things. And the best one, too, is by having someone there that you really trust. They can also uh, be your check and balance. Who that's honest, okay? It's not like that's the important one. Like it's a real, it's a check and balance that you agree with. Meaning, because you have the same, you know, filters already. If one of you goes, "Hey, red flag," then you know that it's also in your best interest to listen to this comment. It's not like a red flag out of nowhere, right? You know what I mean? It's not like a, you know, like a, yeah, of course, it's, yeah. So I think that's that's probably the the best way to to explain it. Um, we see the same imaginary object even while we're imagining it, even before we're actually doing it so that that's a big that's a big one it's just that from the outside looking in it seems like 
it's it's something you have to work towards. It's it's not something that comes overnight. But I'm glad that you you guys are in sync and you seem to be working as one complete entity, which is very admirable. And that bleeds through, and that's uh, that that re- is reflected in the movie, of course. Uh, let's circle back to Josh now. So for my last and third question, I would actually um, bring up the topic of influences again, and. I would actually th- ask. I like to ask you guys and Derek East. What do you think are some um, uh, maybe items or things that you've seen in films or, or in sci-fi films that maybe one day would be invented or invented in real life? Oh, like would happen? Uh, like yeah. Toilet greens. Man, you guys have toilet greens. Uh, yeah, you don't you don't want to watch Soylent Green, man. <laughs> if you want to eat dinner, if you want to eat dinner, don't watch Soylent Green. I'm joking. You mean Soylent Green? My mom hated that film. My mom was scarred. Like I think she stopped watching science fiction because of that movie. <laughs> so. It was one of the biggest precursors to those those weird gelatinous bars they would eat in Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer, yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Hey, you know, Bong Joon-ho, the director of Snowpiercer, is a huge uh, Broca fan. No, no freaking, oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. So, and, and if you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, no wonder he's always concerned about social issues in his movies. Right? Uh, right? Yeah, I do see the parallels. Yeah. I mean, you watch Parasite, it's completely social issues, right? You know, uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Snowpiercer, the... I feel such regional pride right now. Thank you for that, Derek. Yeah, you should. Know we should. We're we're not lacking in like geniuses, guys. Like you know, Pinoy. Uh, I mean, uh, honestly, like uh, when I was, I mean, sorry, you know, tangential. But growing up, uh, I did. I mean, I was a big comic book fan, right? And I didn't know that half the guys drawing all the comic books I was consuming were Pinoy. It was my mom again who was like, "Oh yeah, that guy's Pinoy." Like, huh? <laughs> well, really? You know, and and uh, all the way to this day, you have guys like Lanil Yu, right? The guy draws the Avengers and Superman and stuff. It's mm. Pinoy. You know, I thought it was Chinese American or something. And my friend's like, "No, he's my classmate in UP Fine Arts." You know, <laughs> okay, so so we're not lacking for that, right? Um, but yeah, to get back to your your question, Josh, like God, like well, okay, let's let's look. Like, I mean, flying cars exist already, right? It's just not commercialized, right? They've been well, Pinoy made one, right? They've been one Pinoy made one just to get away from traffic, right? Yeah. <laughs> to solve the traffic problem, you know. Another Pinoy ingenious guy, um, Pinoy scientist. Uh, like segways, are they high tech? Segways exist. <laughs> you know? right? I mean, you know, mall cops use them. Who'd have thought, right? Uh, you know, I'm being facetious, but I mean, like, uh, I think maybe um, beyond. Well, beyond like the interstellar kind of colonization, that's going to happen. I, I mean, uh, I, I mean, Elon Musk is calling it, and I think even if he doesn't succeed, that's like a matter of time, really. Uh, you know, uh, because just because you look at human history, right? Um, that's just how humans are, right? Uh, we're kind of like parasitic kind of organisms kind of spread through anything and kind of control resources right um and i mean uh boaz you're you're mentioning ofw that's exactly where it came from uh who was our first ofw it's enrique of malacca who was magellan's slave 
right? Oh. Who's the first guy who really circumnavigated the world? How do you know that? Because he could converse with the guys in Makan, right? So oh, how wow. on earth would he know that if he didn't circumnavigate, right? So sure. So um, so again, by that token, it's like, well, if if 500 plus years ago, we were already kind of you know being uh, you know uh, uh, marginalized uh, you know uh, migrant workers. Then conceivably in the future it's going to be the same. Uh, and I'll tell you one root of, of OFW is this. My my good friend he's a geologist, uh, Pinoy, um, and he would spend his summers in Antarctica. <laughs> I'm like I'm like why 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 would you why? That's, that's the antithesis of summer. Pretty yeah, much. I'm like why would you put yourself through that right? And he was and he was really very funny. I remember the story. And he and he went there. He, I think he was feeling really cool and like this is my memory of it. But I think it was like very excited. Like yeah, I'll be, you know, one of the early first Pinoys to go to Antarctica. Blah blah blah. And he lands in Antarctica, right? And the base in Antarctica, there's tons of Pinoys there. There's like 20 or something. There's like and it, and it was like. And he's kind of like, oh, but I put that idea there. There's a lot of us here. Um, yeah. And I asked him, like, so how come there's so many of you guys here, right? And one guy, I think he was the radio operator. My memory serves correctly. He goes, well, because we don't get depressed like the white dudes. <laughs> we, can, we can, we're, we can handle, we can handle this shit, man. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. He did not say that, but you know, but we can handle this stuff. You know, we're. You know, we we go through so much crap in our country. Like this is nothing. Like, you know, we, you know. You develop we're, we're, for it. Yeah, we're 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 called resilient because we just put up with so much crap, right? And <laughs> and it's like, uh, and that was a clear case. And that's actually was was another real world reference. Like, wow, if if Pinoys are already in Antarctica, this is way back. This this is like 20 years ago, more now. You know. <laughs> We're gonna be on that first ship out <laughs> to, to you know, to colonize whatever, right? Because um, we're like, we won't mind being stuck there for three years with no contact. Well, you know, we have our TikTok, and you know, we'll be fine. You know, we'll be, we'll be uh, we have our karaoke, we'll be okay. <laughs> so, so I think that's one thing. Um, so I think that's inevitable. The one thing I think is kind of uh, maybe on the more disturbing one, or kind of ethically. Uh, shaky one i think is maybe the idea of of um cloning as a means to create either a, another working class or or to use that for like medical harvesting purposes i think that that's a great one i think i mean, i'm i'm almost sure that's already been done Frankly, we just don't know about it, right? Um, but I think that's a real ethical one to really think about because then it's like if you are, uh, if we we already can control, we could already edit genes, right? We already do that. Uh, we already map the human genome. That's like really down, really close on the pipeline without people wanting to talk about it. Um, that's why I think like films like Blade Runner are perfect because they totally get that that's what this is about yeah you know it's like it's not i mean it's really about creating a new slave class uh who have no rights and that's really disturbing you know in many ways yeah yeah and in many ways i think we're at the nascent stages of blade runner 
<laughs> Knock on wood. We could be at the incipient, at the budding stages of that, and it could just be a matter of time from now. And we're near ground zero. We're near ground zero. Really, really, I really, I really think so because, um, and that's I think why that those films kind of get under people's skin. You know, they don't do well in the box office, right? But like, do people remember it? Yeah, because it's freaking disturbing. Like, if you really think about what that means, right? If you really think about what it means, uh, you know, to be human and to oppress someone, that is the best example of that. It really is. And maybe to address Josh's question, recently, I think we've outsourced driving to AI. And... Mm, yeah. uh, some people unfortunately <clears throat> received the short end of that stick so i think some there were casualties yeah, crashes yeah there were yeah, yeah for sure and in, in one occurrence i think they hit a few pedestrians one time and i think we're going to this very bleak and, and harrowing ai driven world which which uh, may come to fruition in the near future and just to allude to what direct keith was saying maybe the reason why ostensibly there's a deficiency in savants and geniuses, creatively or otherwise, here in the Philippines, is is because they're they're all leaving, they're all fleeing to to get a better life elsewhere. That's that's one of the harrowing truths that we have to come to grips with. You know, there is there is a, a, a glaring disparity and the glaring deficiency, and some of it is 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 bred by by our own nation. Maybe because not a lot, there's not a lot of uh, profit to be gained here. Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's not even profit. It's corruption. It's corruption. There you, you go. Know that, that, there you that, go. Uh, that our chess player, what's yep. his name again? Soul, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I believe that so. Poor guy has been trying to get help from the Philippine government. It's not like he lacks credentials or skill, right? What happens? He's now playing for America and he just beat the Grandmaster last week, right? He was here. Um, all of our Pinoy artists, where are they? At Pixar. For sure. Or at Marvel, whatever, you know, or Disney. You know, all the, all the top people, like the, the guys who write the stories for, like the, the story, uh, the head of story in Disney, the one who did Zootopia, she's Pinoy. You'd be surprised. Yeah, Ronnie Del Carmen, Pixar, Pinoy, you know? Um, and why? Because we don't have the opportunities because these opportunities are... are taken away from us because of corrupt policy that's mm. just the short of it we're not lacking of we're not lacking in the talent pool we're not lacking um and even in maybe the opportunities but sometimes those opportunities are stripped away from us from people who don't get it i'll give you right. another uh, real world example okay um a few decades ago Disney came, I think, here to the Philippines asking for us to make our own animated stuff. Oh. Right? We speak <laughs> English. Yeah. We do your shows already. We Might get well. to create our own IP. This is like manna from heaven, right? What happened? What happened? Nah, we're... Nah, that's animation. Like, who, who watches that? You know, like, whatever, right? Very, very myopic very very myopic people making policy decisions right who shouldn't be there so use your vote wisely so i'm going to say use your vote wisely please don't send people who don't deserve to be there in there because they're going to make bad decisions for you and this is what happened who benefited our neighbors indonesia 
how many Indonesian cartoons do you see on Disney now? Right? My kids watched them growing up. Yeah, Upin and Ipin is one, I think. Yeah, and the, yeah, yeah, they have that Bobo Boy, right? They're right. Bobo Boy, yeah, Upin yeah. and Ipin. Yes, sure. yes, and, I agree. Can you imagine yeah. mm-hmm. if we had pole position, they came to us first, and we totally dropped that ball. Oh, dear. Right? So that's my point. And my point is because why greed might be one, be like, oh, there's no money in there. You know, I have to develop an IP that's expensive. I just want to be service oriented. We just make the money, right? It's one. But I think the other one is really just bad policy making and corruption. That's for the chess guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't get the help he needed. There you go. You know? The primary reason why uh, these geniuses come few and far between here in our country. I mean, the globe is rife and teeming with them, except for, for here, <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, it's, they're getting, they're getting, it's the brain drain, right? That's it's the classic. brain drain. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Renzo, it's time for you to, to come front and center and take the limelight. Go ahead with your last question to cap things so, off, man. Actually, right here, I wanted to give this to Sir, Sir Keith, but I wanted to give this to everyone here on the screen right now, not just Sir Keith. Just, you know, so it doesn't have to be a franchise itself. It doesn't have to be like Star, the Star Wars as a franchise. It can be as an individual film. So I wanted to, or any other fra- big fra- sci-fi franchises that that, that, that you think that one of its films revolutionized cinema for you. It doesn't have to be the, you know, the franchise, it's the whole franchise itself. So what are the greatest sci-fi films for you that have evolved or revolutionized cinema? All right, I'll, I'll quiz you guys first. All right, all right, you guys answer first. So you guys, what are the big ones for you? And then we'll try to, we'll try to, you know, dig into this. We'll try to drill down. What Challenge. sticks out? <laughs> okay, I see. You've tipped, you've tipped the show over its head. I like that. I like the challenge, and we, we've never been one to shrink away from it. Uh, to me, what sticks out now is is Star Trek. I love the resurgence of it back in '09 when uh, they did a massive overhaul on it. When they did this big systemic uh, refurbishing of it by casting Chris Pine, Zoe Saldana, uh, Zachary Quinto, if I'm not mistaken. You know. Uh, providing it with and breathing new life into it pretty much uh that that in many ways was my introduction to sci-fi as a as an eight-year-old i believe first time i chanced upon it yeah go ahead you guys there you go hmm it doesn't have to be a big that big consensus let's say people hated trust but it, you liked it you know you liked it mm. and you thought it's revenue things for star wars yeah. you can bring it up Folks, yeah. yeah. Instructs for different folks, it's, for sure. It's it's for it's your opinion. It doesn't have to be like a big consensus. I mean, Star Trek birthed a lot of people, rubbed them the wrong way. Yeah. A lot of it. Yeah. A lot of the the consensus towards that movie was that it rubbed them the wrong way, and uh, it, it didn't uh, it didn't have that monastic fidelity to mm. to the source material by sort of reinventing the wheel and freshening it up a little bit. But that doesn't diminish my love for it for what it's worth. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I think I, I think I have I have it in my head right now, and I would say, we're, well, we're in the topic of Star Wars, uh, guys. So I would say this the Star Wars franchise and the, the sequel trilogy, and uh, actually the sequel trilogy is a, a trilogy where it's very inconsistent because of the uh, because of of course the last film, the the Rise of Skywalker, and uh, many many fans were so blown and. Um, you know, very angered out of the uh, the outcome of that film. Um, let's talk about The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian was a film that actually handled 
the original trilogy really well. It's a and series, bro. Well, may, well uh, <laughs> the franchise per se. I mean, uh, Star Wars, per, the, the name of Star Wars, it actually handled it really well. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, let's also say, I think, in my opinion, the spin offs, like the anthology films, like Solo and um, Rogue One, Rogue those one. are the films. Yeah, Rogue One was also a film that really um, captured the essence of A New Hope. Because of course it's before New Hope and after Revenge of the Sith, and uh, it really is uh, some some that, that film is a very divisive film actually, uh, but for me it really was a good film. So yeah, it's funny how vast and expansive the Star Wars uh, franchise has become. You can segment it in all these different ways. You know, it doesn't in, in many ways it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like one thing anymore. It, you can segment it into prequels. And the ones that came after that, and the and the you know the, the ones that were helmed by Disney, the ones that were spearheaded by Disney too, that in and of itself is a is a different uh, segment and a different compartment in and of itself. So it, it's funny how vast and expansive it's gotten since its inception. Just something I was ruminating over. You know, don't mind me. Yeah, Renzo, you're gonna say something. Uh, Sir Keith is raising his hand. Because right. oh, you, know, uh, you mentioned Mandalorian, I think you might get a kick out of this. The original designer of Boba Fett, the speeders from Star Wars, and the guy who gave a Slave Leia's outfit is Pinoy. <laughs> oh my <laughs> That's crazy. So the most badass <laughs> character in Star Wars was created by a brown brother. It's, it's, yeah, let's yes. get that in there because he made the coolest guy, okay? Uh, it, his name is uh, Nilo Rodis Jamero, and he designed, yeah, he designed all those things uh, way back in the, I guess, late 70s. He had a very, you can look him up, he had a very funny interview when he talked to George Lucas because he was an industrial designer. Mm-hmm. George Lucas asked him, uh, so do you like sci-fi? Not really. Got hired. Oh screen. God! No, but, but it, it gives you an idea. It gives you an idea of how George Lucas thinks, though. He doesn't want the guy who's going to regurgitate the stuff that he's seen. He doesn't want the. You know what I mean? He doesn't necessarily want the fanboy. Sure. But knows all the stuff. He wants the guy who's going to challenge the stuff, right? And that's why he got awesome stuff like. Boba freaking Boba Fett, Fett. Right? You know, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, so just just an idea. He's the one who made the you know, Boba Fett ship fly like that. That's also mm-hmm. him. So all these crazy ideas came from this industrial designer, this Pinoy guy who wasn't that into sci-fi, <laughs> and ironically also designed uh, Keanu's first sci- cyberpunk movie. Have you guys heard of um, Johnny Mnemonic? Oh, mm-hmm. it's not a great movie. But it looks fantastic. <laughs> it's wow. geniusly designed. So if anything for that, and if you want the, the point VR, that's the one to watch. You know, Keanu's got the gloves and stuff. Very, and very, he was very, head of that snake. He was the yeah. He, he was the uh, yeah. That was in yeah. That was in the nineties, right? That movie. I was ahead of the Matrix by a number of years. So yeah. So Nilo Rodas Jamero made our very own, you know, wonderful. You know, us Mandalorian fanboys. Although I've never watched a series, can you believe it? I feel bad. As I feel like a bad Star Wars fan. Me and Josh, me and Josh recommend it, man. Yeah. No, I know, I know. I, 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 hear, I hear great things about it. And I think the reason why it adheres so closely is from what I understand, they're kind of going back to what George Lucas liked. You know, so his references of, of uh, you know, 
Japanese, you know, basically yeah. Kurosawa samurai movies. And, yes, and, I, know, love Kurosawa. I love Kurosawa. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, so I think they're, they're going back to the same uh, well, right? That's why it feels closer. But here's something I want to, you guys might not know because you guys are Star Wars fans. And I think there's a reason why Star Wars is so kind of deeply embedded in our DNA, right? If you analyze what the original trilogy was, you guys remember the episode, what, four, five, and six, right? Okay, let's break this down. When was George Lucas making this movie? In, in this, I take it in the, help me out guys, 70s? Yeah. 77. Right? 70s, yeah. 77 yeah. is when it came out, right? Yeah. Yeah, he it, but he was working on it for a long time before that. What war was happening during that time? I think the Vietnam War. Vietnam. Exactly. He took, Vietnam. Influence from that. Vietnam. He, he took an influence from that. I'll tell you, and this is what's crazy, okay? I'm going to nerd you guys out, but bear with me, all right? George Lucas was the original guy who was supposed to direct Apocalypse Now. Mm. Okay? And his idea was to literally go to Vietnam and shoot in the war zone. Because he does documentaries, right? Mm-hmm. He's kind of nuts, right? <laughs> yeah. He could die. Studio's like, wow. Studio's like we're going to take this movie away from you. You're not going to make this movie. Um, it's, I mean, it's insane because he could have died. He could die. You know? Yeah, and he didn't yeah. care. And, and that's, uh, that's why I kind of have a really big soft spot for George Lucas, how, how insane he is. Um, he's much more insane than people think, than you know, the image of people have of him, right? Okay, so he asked himself, what about this story, though, do I want to tell? Like, what? why do I have to tell Apocalypse Now? right and it's because of his stance against the war now break it down what's the original episode four about new hope one um, sense what's a new hope about uh, i i usually capitulate to to josh and renzo when it comes to these they're they're the authority i, I kind of guys. forgot what uh, i forgot about the these original intentions no no, no don't, think about, don't think about his original intention what was the story about break it down What's the down. log line? What's the log line for Star for Episode Four, the one with Luke Skywalker? Actually, um, I'm not really sure about the story, but I knew that Lucas had a different um, idea for the main character. It wasn't originally Luke Skywalker. It was supposed to be a, a woman. Um, I think I, it was the last thing was supposed to be Star Killer instead than Skywalker. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah. I'm not sure though with the story side. I'm not really sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. So let me let me make it painfully. I'll make it painfully simple then. Okay. The episode four to describe it, it's about a young farm boy, teenage farm boy, who joins a resistance to battle an imperial force so if we're talking about vietnam war who's the empire there you go this, um ostensibly i guess the, the states yeah the yeah. states America, yes. man yeah. so, yes. so i remember now i remember now oh my yeah. god yeah okay so now if that's the story who are the good guys in the vietnam. real world the Viet yeah. Cong, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Asian brothers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and here, that's my point. This is why Star Wars resonates. It's not because of the lightsabers. I mean, it's cool. Yeah, lightsabers and like spaceships are, you know, yeah, rock on, right? But, but the reason why it's so like stuck in our DNA 
is because he's injecting all these real things are. Okay, I'm going to extend, all right? Let's go to the prequels, right? Episode one, two, three. Who in the real world was a chancellor before they became a dictator? So so if, if the original Star Wars was 70s, you know, Vietnam War, it was another war. Another war. I'm, I'm betting it's Hitler. Yes, yeah. you got it. Oh, you totally got it. it. So Hitler was a chancellor before he became, um, you know, the dictator that he became. Mm-hmm. And, he's a, and he was a popular guy, right? Mm-hmm. He was a populist leader, which which oh, is why God. that scene in, in uh, you know, in whatever episode that was, you know, when he became uh, emperor, right? It was because mm-hmm. people were applauding him, right? Kind of like Trump, right? Kind of very similar. Oh, uh, yes, <laughs> and, yes, it's and I'll, similar. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you something. What I, I saw, I, I was living in New York when, when that movie, when episode three came out. And this is after 9-11, all right? Um, so I was there during 9-11. Uh, and there was a line in episode three before Anakin dukes it out with with uh, Obi-Wan, where they've had their, their big lightsaber fight. And this is something uncanny. Uh, Anakin's words there were almost verbatim <laughs> what George W. Bush told Congress to get the green light to attack Afghanistan. <laughs> Wow. And and so living in New York after 9-11, like very sensitive about these things, right? And I remember when that land came up, there was this collective, oh! <laughs> I mean, people people in the audience got, got the reference. Like, oh my God, like he just he just like let that out of the bag. Um, it was the one where it's like, if you're not with me, then you're my enemy, right? Yes, yes. And when George, George W. basically said that to get approval to bomb the hell out of Afghanistan. <laughs> With with no with no proof of weapons of mass destruction, right? Yeah. So so my point again is that whichever series you're looking at, when George Lucas was doing it, he was really injecting real life things here. So this is coming from his you know you know history nerdness. This is coming from his you know his other interests, right? Mm. That's why it resonates, and that's why I think the new ones might be weaker because they didn't have, I think some are better than others, right? But but uh, at least, the, I mean, I'm talking about the, the last one with Ray and stuff, you know, the last three. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why they're, they don't have maybe that kind of resonance, um, you know, because he really thought about that stuff. He yeah. was concerned about that stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I don't mean to make a digression here so sharp, but I had to be on my bonnet about uh, when you said you were living in New York. Was that around the time you were? I take it maybe you were making rigoton around that time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Um, yeah, thanks for bringing. Okay, uh, yeah, rigoton was something that is my first film. Uh, wow. uh, so I'm, I again uh, co-direct that with Sari. And and uh, uh, what happened? Well, okay, backstory on that, right? Um, I had been developing basically an. OFW story, like a TNT story for a while. <laughs> and uh, and then 9-11 happened. And, you know, I witnessed the whole thing and, you know, our, our the documentary office I worked at literally, it's perpendicular to the end of, if, if our street went on, it ended with the Twin Towers. I saw it every morning, right? Um, so to see that, uh, you know, that was really harrowing. And I'll tell you how unreal it was, I remember when I saw the buildings burning, I were calling up one of the producers and be like, hey, like I'm at the office, I can run, that's how close, I can run down there and shoot. Where's the tape, <laughs> right? And my boss is like, whoa, no, 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 no. Like you're, don't do that. Like, cause they just got the Pentagon. I'm like, huh? 
I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, who's they, right? And that was, that's kind of the surreal, that was a surreal Tuesday morning, right? Um, anyway, when 9-11 happened, that then all the issues that I was kind of talking about in Rigadon then became really crystal clear. Mm. Crystal clear. And so that's that's how, um, uh, so basically that's why Rigadon is set right after 9-11, right? Uh, with yeah. the Pinoy community in New York trying to, sure. trying to just survive. Um, uh, and and uh, what's interesting is that behind the scenes, uh, the sci-fi connection or the film geek connection is that we had uh, two of our um, uh, advisors on that film one is the writer and executive producer of Blade Runner, Hampton Whoa. Fancher. So Hampton Fancher was uh, one of the guys who, I have never been so thrilled to get a script where every line had a red mark on it, right? I was like ecstatic because that, that meant he read it. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and Hampton was great because his whole thing was, he's doing that to goad you. He's not really saying this sucks. He's like saying like, is that all you got? It's like a challenge, right? It's all you got, you know? Uh, and so he, yeah, he, it was awesome. Uh, he, really, really wonderful man. He's kind of nuts too. Uh, if, I'm sure there's a, there's YouTube videos on him. He, he's, he's as crazy as those videos. Uh, and the other, the other advisor that we had was Spike Lee. Oh, the Spike Lee. That's yeah. crazy. And, uh, the cool thing, mm. about the Pinoy connection, right? The first time I meet Spike Lee, okay? Man puts me to shame. All right. What, oh, tell That's us. Tell the first us. First time I meet Spike Lee, literally, right after shaking his hand, he goes, "You know, you know the movie I want to do. I want to make a movie about David Fagan." And I'm like, David Fagan. Who's <laughs> like, oh my god, like this is such a brain fart, you know? Like, what, what's what's going on? Um, you guys don't know who David Fagan is? Yep. Nope. Even if it hit me square across the head, no. Yeah. David Fagan is the African-American soldier who is fighting for the American uh, uh, colonial forces in, during the Philippine-American War, who joined the Katipunan. He became a Katipunero. He became a captain, I think, in the Katipunan. I think he married a Pinay. Whoa. And he, he fought for Pinoys, okay? He fought for the Filipinos because I have more in mm. common with with these guys than the country I'm coming from, you know. Uh, and and uh, and David Fagan and he, well, of course, he was killed, and you know, who knows what happened to his body. But um, uh, and that's David Fagan. It's the first thing that Spike Lee says, right? I'm like, I'm like, you know, idiot, idiot. You know, I'm like, uh, you know, it's a it's a history test. I don't know this. You know, I should know this. And again, the Pinoy connection. He goes, you guys ever met Maddie? You know what he's talking about? No, sir. Uh, Maddie. Renzo, you're a film fan. You know, you know any anybody named Maddie who makes movies? Matthew, who's Pinoy? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of confused. <laughs> so I wasn't expecting to get this challenge, man. Yeah, yeah. no. Name so, it well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll give it to you, right? Um, Matthew Libatique is the cinematographer oh, yeah. who shot Iron Man 1 and 2. He's been nominated for Oscars a bunch of times for Black Swan and Lady Gaga film, right? Yeah, yeah. A Star is Born. 
Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Is born right. So he's he's with been spiky on. hair. The guy with the spiky hair. Yeah. Yeah, he's got spiky hair now. So yeah, so sorry was actually interned for Spike Lee. She met Maddie first, working with him on one of Spike Lee's movies, and she was like, "Yeah, this guy's really like really quiet. He's like really fast." And at that time, he had cornrows. Maddie's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, he's got style, right? Um, yeah, and so so here you go. Spike Lee knows more about Filipino history than I do. And he's collaborating with these awesome kick-ass Pinoy, you know, artists. Mm. You know, that's so but, cool. You know, yeah. So that, so that was my that was like the I main you know that kind of brought us off. But that was kind of the the cultural milieu that we had while making Rigodon. So it's kind of um, it's kind of wild, you know. Uh, and it was really cool because you could also see by having Hampton and Spike kind of also have different opinions on things. It was like really really educational. And Spike Lee gave. The best advice that I that we totally used. In fact, that's how we survived making Alimuob. Okay, he gave the best advice ever, and his advice was, "Do everything within a block of your house," <laughs> which is what he did, right? If you watch his early movies, they're all like within a block of his house. They're all in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, right? Do the right thing. Do the right thing was the last one, but but yeah, but that was all still within one block, hmm. right? Do the right thing is one block. It was a really a city block. And, and I think that was. I think that street was named after the movie. Subsequently, yeah, it might have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That it's, and they shot like the the Public Enemy videos there and yes, everything. Sir. Right, really awesome. So, so and that advice totally saved. And that's why we we're able to make Ali Mu'am. We're like we gotta get get you know from that playbook. Uh, we gotta apply that to this movie because we don't have time. We don't have money. You know, we don't want to get killed by traffic, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, and and that was that was a big, um, like real world lesson that really really worked. So you know, hats off to those guys. Still, still getting schooled by those guys many years later. You know, <laughs> and I I don't think you could have picked a, a better actor to put the movie uh, to, to put the, the most of the weight of the movie uh, in his shoulders in, in the form of Joel Torre I think that was a good casting choice of course well, given I'd his pedigree given what he's done yep yeah well Joel is just amazing I mean actually every single actor we've worked with it's someone that we kind of really like love already <laughs> I mean or or, or um You know, like I gotta work with that person. I mean, um, I mean, Joel Thor, of course, he's a, he's a hero. You know, and I, I remember, I remember it was really weird because I remember thinking, I we never, you know, nobody, who are we? You know, who are we gonna ask him this, right? And I'll tell you what happened. He was the one who got in touch with us. Mm. I don't even remember how he learned about it, but I remember he was the one who was like, hey, like. Can you put in a word for me? Like, if can sorry, can Keith and sorry consider me? Like, what? What are you talking about? You know, um, um, so that really kind of that also, and for all you future filmmakers too, right? Like, I mean, that kind of says a lot. Where if it kind of restored my faith in humanity because it shows that um, if you. If you like, kind of really mean well and 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 really honest about the project you're you're trying to do, mm. it'll happen for you because the, none of that. There's no reason why that film should have been made. Really, I mean, we we were self-funded and we're shooting it at nights or on weekends where I'm not at work. You know, I mean, we the only thing we had was time. That's why it took us forever to shoot it. <laughs> you know, um, you know. Uh, Uh, literally from the first shot that we did to the finished one, probably shot it for over a year. 
I mean, you know, it's, everything was against that. Um, and somehow, somehow the universe kind of, you know, colludes with you to make oh, it yeah. happen. Yeah. So that was kind of a nice experience. Um, but that goes to everybody, like even Alessandra, right? I remember seeing her film uh, when she was 14, Asusana. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen that? By no, Derek Carlito Sigun Reina. Um, I saw that movie. And I was like, I'm going to work with this girl someday because she's amazing. <laughs> she's 14. You know, I mean, I, I don't know her, you know. And yeah, like what, like what, 12 years later, whatever it was, you know, we get to do uh, Ruins together, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And same thing with Ina. You know, I saw her in her first movie for Cinemalaya, you know, Endo. I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. gonna work, I want to work with this girl. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it happens, right? The, 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 you get what you... <laughs> You do get what you wish for, you know. It might take time, but <laughs> you do get oh, it. Yeah. Definitely, and it seems uh, it seems to have worked for you, Direct Keith. And thank you for gracing the podcast. Uh, before we let you go, however, I would love for you to shed some light on Kino Arts and some of the things that uh, our listeners could potentially uh, look forward to. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. Well, Kino Arts is really um, uh, the our little boutique production banner between myself and Sari. Uh, so we're basically, you know, we're a small production outfit. We do uh, documentary. Well, we do feature length stuff. So it's mainly uh, documentaries or films. So we have, you know, Ali Mulam is a part of that. Rigadon's a part of that. Um, Omar the Ruins is a part of that. Uh, the Gorilla is a poet is a part of that. Um, we, we basically made. It's not bad, actually. I have about 13, 13 films uh, produced under Kino Arts. So just go to our, we have a Facebook page. Just go look up Kino Arts. You'll, you'll see us there. There's a black and white photo of us there hamming it up, uh, <laughs> you know, under, above the logo. Uh, so you'll know it's us. Um, and that's really it. Uh, we, we're always working on new stuff. So um, if you'll notice, there's no genre. Uh, I remember Sari actually directed a historical docu docudrama musical <laughs> who knew there was a genre you know uh so we're kind of genre agnostic uh, mm-hmm. basically everything anything that interests us but um hopefully there's something you'll find on there uh we don't own all the films i mean some of those are on different platforms like cinema one or sorry uh pista ng pelikula filipino right just has yeah. uh our film from 2015 darling nick which is our film on our national artist for literature nick joaquin uh it's about him uh there's a lot of people in there uh uh, that you'll recognize um both real and fictional uh, and actors sorry both actors and real real people uh we also did um kind of a controversial film called the gorilla is a poet on uh the founder of the new people's army that was kind of fun (laughs) to do um and i think that's part of the thing and and people don't know that he was actually a, a literary geek People don't know that his, his thesis was actually on Nick Joaquin, and his thesis is somewhere in Camp Krame, you know? <laughs> Who knows what wow. happened to it, right? But but it's uh, very fascinating. So so I think you'll see that there's a lot of, um, we like probing things a lot. Uh, you know, we like asking, we like asking, you know, uncomfortable questions. So hopefully for your entertainment, <laughs> uh, if not your erudition, you know? Go ahead, Josh. Well, actually, since we're in the topic of Kino Arts, and I wouldn't want to let this pass, of course, since I would actually love to praise yeah, your, two, your two films, Woman, Woman of the Ruins and um, Ali Moam. And I would actually, if I were to pick between the two, I would pick um, Woman of the Ruins because it's a type of film that I love. It's silent, 
the 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 atmosphere the atmosphere of the film i love it and the actually i love how you captured the theme of it the, the marriage between um uh pa, I'm sorry payol and um uh, maria i love pashon yeah. uh, sorry pashon pashon and maria i apologize um i love that how you also um uh state ruins in terms of the society itself I love that. I really love that. And um, I also love about uh, in terms of the relationship of Pashon and Maria, it's not out of love. It's more on pressure, you know. It's more on how Maria suffocates in her relationship with uh, Pashon. Uh, it I love that it really captures everything and the irony in the end. It really it really is a good film. I love it. And in terms of Ali Moem, I I really love how Uh, how different it is into in uh, Philippine uh, cinema uh, industry. Oh, yeah. It's it's it feels so different. Um, I also love the, that the title actually shows that there's hope for humanity. I really love that. Thank you. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for that. It's. Uh, I'm happy you. I'm happy you. Because I think I think it's, well, ruins is an interesting one because. Um, as you said it's like very quiet right it's like it's all mm-hmm. atmosphere it's all it's all kind of mood and i remember uh, uh it it also gave me hope because i was so shocked when that won the audience choice in <laughs> cinema originals because we we're like i mean audience choice is usually what you know feel good movies get, yeah. get right mm-hmm. you know that's what You know, rom coms get right. And nothing is rom coms. It's like it's like this is what usually you get, right? Uh, yeah. To a feel good rom com movie. And so I remember when they called us, it was kind of like, did you? Uh, did someone make a mistake? Like it was. It was kind of like stunned. I mean, even from we're kind of stunned. stunned. <laughs> like, did someone write the wrong thing? Um, but but what that meant, which which is what kind of was invigorating and, and that's why I'm so happy you're, you're you're saying this because that also gives me hope in terms of what kind of fair what kind of films we can make mm-hmm. for us because we're kind of we, we like ghettoizing ourselves right? mm-hmm. we, we like you know we oh Pinay's like the melodrama only or we only mm-hmm. like the comedy yeah. or we only like this like yeah but that's kind of missing the spectrum of of everything else you can do you know um I remember I had the same thing. I had the same thing with with animation. I had one. There was one um, kind of uh, you know uh, a veteran animator when we were doing something. He said something to me like you know there, there's you have to you have to choose between three styles of animation. Mm-hmm. It's Hanna Barbera, Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. or Disney, and that's the only three choices. And I'm kind of like mm-hmm. okay, but that kind of wipes out. 98% of the films that are in the world <laughs> that are animated you know what i mean like um you know what i mean so so uh so i i i'm i'm very i can't tell you how thankful i am to hear that that you got you know you you got that from from those films because it's it's um it's something that uh it it, it puts wind in the sails again I'll put it that way so thank yeah. you yeah Well, I actually believe that I think Renzo would want to weigh in in terms of the two films. I think. Yeah, please, Renzo. I need to hear yeah. you. Well, I would just like to say um, I, I agree with Josh and Boaz. We we actually talked about the films before we did the podcast. Is that um, is that I we loved um, we loved Ruins a lot more. Is that 
Um, not that, uh, not that because uh, like, we agree that Alumum is very different from the films that we got. Which actually, what I appreciate about Sir Keith's talent that that you, Sir Keith, have is that that you really know how to bring the talent out of the actors. Is that you really know how to do that? And then you also yeah, have you, mm. you also and that's what actually for me, even though I have I actually I won't lie. I, I hope it doesn't offend you when I say that I had the most gripe with Ali Moham, which I hope it doesn't offend you. But I still like that I still like that film by the way. It's just that but what made me love that film, even though it, it, it was what I had most gripes with, is that you know how to bring out that talent. You know how to bring out their talents in that like I was like I was like you may let's say you're making an okay film than your past works, but you know how to bring out what makes their the best acting out of the actors or actresses. That's what made me like the two films. Really, is like sure. Let's say they have a great they have great characters or great story, but somehow what made me so well like what, as a director, of course you have to bring out the best out of the you know the cast, and I think you've did that really well. Oh, thank you, thank you for that. I, the, I, I don't do anything. I just I get out of their way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's and the secret. I get because I, I can't act, and I, I couldn't even presume to tell them how to do their job. And and sure. yeah. and that's why you get those guys, right? You get the guys. You get your idols because you want to see them kick ass. Mm. <laughs> and they make and they make you look good. So there you go. Hard. There you go. And Ina Faleo, Art Acuna, they're such class acts. They did so well in, in their respective movies. And I want to give props uh, primarily to Sir Art because his talent isn't contingent on which movie you, you put him. Irregardless of that, it still bleeds through. I've seen him in a lot of Telus areas. He was still every bit as potent and every bit as effective and every bit as present as he was with Woman of the Ruins. And that's a testament to how, how, how much of a talent Art Acuna is. I think he's very much shunned and very much underrated. So massive props to to Sir Art. Yeah, yeah Art, great guy. Art, Art is. All, I I met Art in New York. That's how long we've been friends. Yo, I met Art when he he looked. He had long hair, man. And he, uh, in fact, you know his new look. The you know he, what he's known for now. His his uh, yeah. his clean you know Professor X look, right? Um, <laughs> it actually happened when in Rigadon because we had to have a shot at the uh, at a certain point where to show that time had elapsed and his character kind of had had broken through i mean went through the point of no return right mm. and i remember like he had he had gotten he'd done that for a play and it was like perfect because the references that sari found sari is very research based mm-hmm. and she found these great photographs of uh, indigenous pinoys that were imprisoned Mm. And they were kind of like scientific specimens, and they're all shaved head. Wow! And they're like, this is an mm. and this is like mm. a scientific categorization. This is what this is what Igrot looks like, and this is what you know is amazing. And I was like, oh my god! And then when wow. Art came in with, the, with had his shaved head, we're like, this is so perfect. And so that's why if you see that shot in that film, we made sure that we hit the marks to kind of echo those photographs. Mm. On him, I mean, no one will get this because this is our our process in trying to make it. You know, we're like, how do we, how do we make sure that we have a kind of a visual link to these things, right? And 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 Art's look was so perfect, and he's such a gentleman, man. I love that guy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it was coming from a very this this primal place almost. 
this tribal, oh, yeah. this tribal primal place, which is which is amazing. Yeah, I never would have known that. And just to sew it all up, Derek Keith, unbeknownst to me at the time, I was watching. I was like, I was knee deep into this movie called RPG Metanoia. That was something I was really into, and unbeknownst to me at the time, you were actually involved in it. Although I don't know the capacity in which you were involved, but. The, having researched you and having read up on everything Kitsi got in preparation for this episode, uh, it, it occurred to me that he, you've you've made a mark, you've made an indelible mark on me, and I didn't even know it until I don't know, close to about give or take three days, two days ago, when I was looking you up. That's awesome. I just wanted to bring it up. No, that's Fun. awesome. I, no RPG. Okay, RPG props where it should really go to. It's really uh, uh, Louis's uh, brainchild, uh, Louis Suarez, the, the writer director of that film. He, he's he's awesome. Yep. Uh, and and he, uh, the story of my involvement was I had literally just moved back here uh, uh, from from New York, and I got the invitation to kind of consult on the script, right? Yeah. And, uh, um, and at that point, I think he'd been developing it off and on for a number of years already. Like it already been. And development for quite a while, and uh, so I, I came in, and really to, to, to credit, really Louis' credit, we just kind of jammed on it. I, it was really, really just jamming on on trying to get his ideal movie expressed on the page, right? So I mean, I wasn't. I mean, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not giving him like you know advice. It's more like trying to tease out. What do you want to say? And then, oh, then let's say it this way, right? And and the only thing that I could maybe say from that was after, literally weeks after we'd handed in uh, his latest draft, that was the one that got picked up and greenlit for Star Cinema. So so for better for worse, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for Louis, that was the beginning of his of his uh, his uh, other other you know challenges, but. Um, but that was kind of cool. So in my own super small way, you know, to be a part of that was really, really cool. And I'm, I'm so proud of that film because it also showed again what Pinoy animators could do. Oh yeah. Right? Mm. Um, and even to the point where the story was hopefully accessible because I had, I had a, you know, family who were maybe growing up abroad. You know, I was not, I was like, well, watch this, see if you'll like it. And they still, even if they could not speak Tagalog, they understood the story. You know, it was very clear to them what the story was. So I'm like, okay, you know what? That's great. We got a movie that we're proud of out of this. You know, we have, it's the first uh, CG feature film. You know, all that stuff is inconsequential. But but in the end, it was a story that, that got people. That, that's the best, you know. So I'm so happy, boys. You you actually saw that. I guess you saw it when it came out? Yeah, yeah. I was I was just about knee-high to a grasshopper when it came out. Yeah, I, was, awesome. I was eight, give or take. And to me, I was... To, to, the, to my untrained eyes at the time, to my uninclined, uninitiated eyes, that was pretty much uh, something so left field, something I haven't wrapped my head around fully. And for me to, to just be thrown into the deep end that way and have that be the int- introduction to, to animation for me and, and uh, the, the, the extents it could go to is, was something eye-opening and something I'm, I'm highly appreciative of. Thank you for that, Sir Keith. Thank you for being involved in that project. And real sh- uh, quick shout out to Cinema One for taking a shot at these contrarian, recalcitrant movie ideas that 
would never see the light of day otherwise and would otherwise just be left in the cutting room floor. So thank you, Cinema One, for empowering these type of filmmakers. I never I never would have encountered RPG hadn't it been for them. So yeah, props. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. we have to thank uh, Ronald Arguelles is the executive producer of Cinema One. He's the one with who had the vision to kind of break open what is, you know, available, right? Yeah. For consumption. And to think it's mm-hmm. from, you know, Cinema One's a part of like, you know, a big corporation, right? It's ABS-CBN, you know, you know where, where Star Cinema is. And yet there is this pocket where you could make these really kind of challenging works and they work, mm. right? Um, it sure know. did for me. Yeah, yeah sure awesome, did for awesome. Me. Thank you, thank you. I'll pass the word. <laughs> Thank you for that. So, Josh, Renzo, now would be the time for, for maybe some parting words, uh, some final questions you want to ask Sir Keith. Yep, go ahead, Zoe. Well, uh, I'd just like to say, I'm not, I'm not speaking for myself only as an aspiring filmmaker, but as a as film fan, uh, us three from the Film Flix podcast, is that I'd like to speak for all of us, you know, is that we're, we're, we're very thankful for having you here. And it's really fun. And yeah. I, you're the guest that we never it's like um, we've had other guests they're great but you've you've did something different by you know by challenging us you know and mm-hmm. I mean we have another we had another guest that challenges us but you're in another range yeah. yes we're in another range which is amazing and I loved it mm-hmm. so we're very thankful we are very mm-hmm. yep yeah we're usually on the giving end of that seldom are we ever on the receiving end of that we, we don't usually feel out of our depth or out of our element in, in Filmflix podcast. And I mean this in the most flattering way possible. Uh, and you made us feel that way. So thank you, Direct Keith. I mean that in a <laughs> very flattering No, no, not at all. I meant that in a flattering way. And uh, it, it was so great. It was such a new experience for the three of us collectively. Yep, yeah. Wow, <laughs> that was crazy. Cool. Well, thank you. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm proud to be here, you know. You guys yeah. are doing an awesome thing. Thank you for giving us the time of day also. Of course, yeah. anytime, guys, you know. Let me lift the curtain, right? As to how I get uh, guests, I would just typically bombard like these other directors, uh, these these um, these paragraphs, right, of uh, that uh, events and that make it known to them how, how much I would love them to be on my pod and to no avail most of the time. So I, I really do appreciate those who, who do give me the time of the case in point, direct Keith Sikat and uh, direct Gino M. Santos, thank you for thank you for you guys, and you you you're doing such a great deal for Filmflix podcast and furthering uh, what it is we champion here in the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're so great. Thank, thank you very you much. Guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I forgot to say something too. Like um, for any of you guys who are interested in like um, like Pinoy sci-fi, because people might think like it doesn't exist, right? Um, <laughs> it actually does. And uh, I'll tell you that if you if you want to uh, uh, like a, to dip your toes in it, I just discovered this book. I got it from UP Press uh, a little like a year ago or something. It's a bunch of short stories, and it's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh man! So we're like we have a tradition, and even sci-fi movies. There's apparently a sci-fi movie from like the '40s. It's no longer ex- existing, but the mm-hmm. point is like. Like, like, you know, like Ali Muam, we're not doing anything new. We're not reinventing the wheel, you know? Um, mm. We've been doing this, uh, Pinoy's have been doing this kind of work for a long time. We just kind of forgot, right? So mm. it's time to remember and, and also support 
the guys who are doing it. So if you guys have a chance, you know, if you guys like to read, um, you know, yeah. dig your stuff out there. Yeah, was is, does that book somehow inform, or was that was that was the movie Ad Astra somehow predicated on that book? Or not really. Oh, no, no relation. No, 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 this is no no relation. I think this was um, actually. I think this is more about like. I mean, if anything, it's diaspora, right? It's, maybe it's more OFW ish, right? right. Uh, in that sense. But um, but yeah, you're right because because uh, Ad Astra came out. Last at year? the tail end, at the tail end of last year, yes, sir. Tail end of last year, right? And this book came out. When was this? This was 2013. So way ahead. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and okay. A lot of good people doing sci-fi stuff. So they exist. Support them. Right on. Right on. So that about does it for us here on Film Flicks Podcast. Thank you, Direct Keith Seacott, for obliging us and uh, humoring us. Uh, we'll see you for the next episode. We're signing off in five, four, three, two, one. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Thank you guys.